Greetings, troubled listeners. Welcome back to the Troubled Men podcast. I am Renee Komen, once again in the safe house, on the line with my co-host, the original troubled man for troubled times and future mayor of New Orleans, Mr. Manny Chevrolet. Welcome, Manny. Sunrise, sunset. Sunrise, sunset. Oh, yeah. How are you, brother? I'm good, man. Good. Just uh, Manny's doing that in honor of uh, of the the end of Yom Kippur. We just sunrise, just of, sunset. Just got off of a 25 hour fast, complete fast, uh, afflicting ourselves. A lot of praying, a lot of uh, Hebrew praying, a lot of uh, minor key melodies. So yes, uh, we're we have a clean slate, Manny. It's, uh, it's, so we're going from the sacred to the Why profane. Why do you want a clean slate? What's the point of having a clean slate? It's a day of atonement, you know, get a, you know, forgiveness of sins. You know, you, you beseech God to uh, act mercifully to, towards us. So and, you uh, in the past year have sinned a lot? Is that what you're well, saying? Well, I mean, I think we're, you know, we're all sinners, Manny. And, uh, and so, you know, we, we sin. I don't think I'm a sinner. No, okay, well. I uh, think I'm honest. Well, you know, there, there, there's more sins than, than dishonesty. There are many types of sins, um, you know, sins of omission, sins of, uh, of, you know, a million different classes of, you know, large sins, small sins. But, uh, you know, we're, we're all sinners in the eyes of God. So, uh, you know. But if no, you don't believe in a God, how can you be a sinner? Well, I'm saying that's this is uh, within the system that I'm I'm operating within. Yes, yes, this is the system of Judaism. This is what we do. The, so the it's religion a system. Of Judaism. Well, it's a uh, it's a it's a way of looking at life. It's a it's a creed. It's a, you know we have the Torah. It's a it's a, a a body of law, a body of commentary on that law, a way of life, a tradition. So anyway, yes, we're coming off of that, and uh, feels good. This is the uh, first time I, now I've played a gig right after Yom Kippur was over in the past. You but did I never, tonight? No, no, in the past I said, uh-huh. uh, but I, I've, I've never done a podcast straight off of coming off of a fast, and uh, so I I quickly uh, had a cup of coffee. Um, once the, they, they blow the shofar at the end, you know, the, the ram's horn to, to signify the end. And then we say, uh, next year in Jerusalem. But, no, uh, but so that was the whole point of doing this show right after, was you to not have anything except alcohol after your fast. Well, no, no, no. I was always, I have to have, to have something in my stomach just to uh, get my no, blood No, but it would have been hilarious for the troubled nation to see the physical reaction that you would have just coming off of a fast and just going straight to booze. That was the whole point. I'm pretty much doing that, man. Yes, it's, uh, it's, it's just a, a couple of bites and, uh, and then the booze, so, so have no fear. Um, so anyway, that's, that's where we are tonight, and uh, uh, you know, glad that we could make this all happen. Um, so how was your week? My week was, uh, I don't really remember much of it, to be honest with you. Uh, uh, I'm, it's the uh, third time you, you t- tonight you told me that you you don't remember something that that happened just recently. Um, yeah, well, you know, uh, you know, those, you know, that when when uh, the last president was still still in there, uh, he, he took this uh, cognitive test where he had to like uh, name some animals that they had just shown him. And he was very proud of that he could remember those things. So I don't know, I don't know. It's a uh, I hate to have to. I don't. know what that means. Hate to have to send you to. We don't have to have a cognitive evaluation for you, do we, Manny? 
Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I only remember things I really want to remember. That's the thing. Okay. Well, you know, you, you, have, know? A, you do have a calendar in your phone, right? Or, or, uh, or a calendar on the wall or something? Uh, I'm anyway. sure I have a calendar on my phone. I don't, I don't know where it is. I don't know how to use it. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, calendars of, of some type are useful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just so you can know when, what you have I've to do. I've got a day. pocket full of notes. Okay. Is what I have. I have a pocket full of notes. Okay. You know, right. you can't expect me to remember everything. I can't remember. I'm an old no, man. That's why, that's why you have I, to you write, write the notes, man. That's why you have to, yeah, to make Yeah, but then I write notes. the notes and I can't read my writing. You okay. Know, I, I, can't, scribble I can't things down. Can't solve you know? all your problems tonight, Manny. Anyway, so I'm not uh, asking you to solve my problems. No, I'm I didn't say you were. I'm just telling you ahead of time I can't solve them all. Um so uh well I, I do remember some things that happened this week. Uh to me, you know, it's uh, again the aftermath aftermath of the storm. Uh, you know, I had a lot of tree damage. We talked about that. I managed to get the the giant trees out of my residence yard the past weekend and uh, I'd, I'd previously cleared all the lumber or most of the lumber out of that uh, the backyard of that old apartment of yours that I have and uh, I only the only thing remaining was a giant stump in the back of that yard so I had to get a, a, a stump grinder now did you, when you got your tree down did you have somebody come grind that stump in your backyard you just kind of no that tree wasn't in my backyard it was the neighbor's tree oh okay all right that, all right and they, they and they were cheap they, they, they still have that stump there right right well this was so big i had to get a stump grinder to back there and uh so i brought this huge machine uh i mean the, the, the thing is gigantic it's like the size of a small car um, yeah, but, I know. Uh, I've seen stump grinders. Yeah. Right. No, no, no. The stump itself. The, the stump grinder is the size of a small car, but the stump was just as big as that. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen those stump grinders. Oh yeah, it's a vicious, vicious machine, man. Did, you wouldn't want to. Did you have trouble get getting it into the backyard? Um. No. You know, the guy came at the crack of dawn, man, and he was done by like uh by like eight thirty. I missed all the action. By the time I got back there, uh, met him, met him to pay him. He already had now, it all ground. Now is FEMA up. helping you with all this? Oh fuck no, man. No, no. FEMA's not helping me. Uh, uh State Farm is already screwing me on that property. Um, it's uh, really? it's a whole it's a whole nightmare already. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm probably wind up getting uh getting my attorney involved at some point here. But uh, that's that's down the road. I'm, I'm still still dealing with them. I have uh, State Farm coming out to my uh, my residence tomorrow. See see what goes down with that. Because we got FEMA money for our roof already, and hmm. we just had about a couple hundred shingles. You know, we had some blue tarps, and we've already got money in the bank to help fix all that stuff. Well, don't you have uh, have homeowners insurance to cover that? Yeah, we do. And that's the funny thing. We, we went to FEMA first, and they said, well, you have homeowner's insurance. Go to your homeowner's insurance. And they've been dragging their feet. So we told FEMA that we have, we've been t trying to contact them, and no one's coming out. Nobody's coming out to look at it. So FEMA said, okay, well, we'll give you some money to okay. cover it. Well, you know? very good. It's good to hear the government being responsive like that. Man, I appreciate that. Yeah, so uh, we're all good. All right. Um, Outstanding. And, uh, they're actually coming to fix the roof. Well, they put a tarp on today, that little part that was kind of, you know, some shingles left, but there's that 
tar paper that was there. Right. And uh, they covered that up, and um, and then they put some money in our bank. So we were happy to have that because if you go through the insurance, you know what happens after that. Your rates are going to go up. You know, that's what they're going to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, so you know, I, the people don't understand uh, that are not from New Orleans or, you know, don't have property down here. Uh, there, they have a hurricane deductible on all of our policies, and it's usually like five percent of the value of the entire policy. So, not five percent of the claim. Five, if you have a two hundred thousand dollar house, it's so you're uh, you know five percent is ten thousand dollars. You have a ten thousand dollar deductible on any yeah. named storm. Yeah, and it's it's bullshit. The insurance down here is a joke. The car insurance down here is a joke. The home insurance down here is oh, a yeah. joke. No, we're, we're getting and screwed. then the, we got this Donlin, this guy Donlin, who's the insurance commissioner, and everyone's treating him like he's a hero right now, that he's standing up to the insurance companies. He hasn't done shit, man. That guy yeah, I always joke. wonder how cozy the, uh, the, the insurance commissioners and the, the insurance companies are. It seems like they're pretty, pretty cozy. Well, when I lived in in Los Angeles, I used I never had insurance for anything because I would just think to myself, insurance for what? Why insurance for what? So I can sleep at night? I can't sleep at night to begin with. So why do I need insurance? <laughs> you know? I didn't think you had a problem sleeping. I thought you had a problem staying awake. Yeah, so uh, it's crazy. Well, so in, in other news, uh, you know, a, a guy that, that we love, Norm MacDonald, passed away. Yeah, Norm MacDonald. Yeah, you uh, you said, you know, Norm MacDonald was a very good friend of yours. You, you, uh, yeah, I like Norm because I, I, try, you know, I try to emulate him in many ways because he didn't give a fuck about what he said. And I, lo- I like that about him. You know, he you know, he'd talk about O.J. killing even though the trial was still going on and, you know, he was already a murderer and stuff. And he, he, you know, he had some of the most amazing jokes. Very dry. Yes. Well, yeah, dry, but also so many people, you know, so, uh, 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 you know, like not got made nervous because he actually said it, you know, he said it and which I find amazing that he said things like that. And uh, that's what I try to do. But, you know, and even in today's uh, PC era, you can't, you can't offend anyone. He would still do it. And uh, that's why I liked about him so much, especially in the last five, ten, five to ten years. He was always very funny. That's yeah, yeah. He wasn't just offensive. He was always very funny. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, he had some great jokes. Like, I think one of my favorite jokes of his was a tweet that he had. And it was hilarious. He after Charles Manson had died, mm-hmm. uh, Norm Macdonald said um, he tweeted, "My thoughts are in prayers for his family and friends." <laughs> you know, which I think is fucking yeah. hilarious. Yeah, it's good. You I know? like that. I actually got to see Norm Macdonald in New York one time. Ton and I were up there uh, in the the late 90s and we went to a comedy club and saw his act cool yeah yeah no it was it was, it was outstanding you yeah know, he whole... said this joke uh, uh so hilarious um 
a very beautiful gold chain would be the perfect retirement gift for a very, very good slave. Okay. All right. <laughs> which I think, you know, he said something like that, which is, you know, no one would say anything like that anymore. You know? See, you didn't laugh at it either because it makes you uncomfortable, right? Well, it's uh, it's the the way you uh, you know if it was told in a way that it was funny that uh, I would probably laugh, but I, I don't hold back from laughing if something is funny. I laugh. Well, I said it pretty much. I fe- I said it pretty much verbatim when he said it. Yeah, you know, there's the it's the comedy is more than just the words. You understand that, Manny? It's the whole timing and tone and context and everything, you know. And you can you can say the same words and make them not funny. Uh, you know, I don't know. It's it's all so so subjective, you know. Well, uh, s- speaking of, of people's opinions and, and uh, you know, a lot of subje- subjective opinions is, uh, you know, we've had this, uh, this Jeopardy saga, Jeopardy host brouhaha that's been going on. I know you're a big Jeopardy fan. Do you have thoughts on this? I'm tired of it, man. I'm just like, I'm tired of the reruns. And now they've got, you know, they've decided to have... Uh, uh, Ken Jennings and Miriam Bialik uh, okay. uh, be co-host uh, till the end of the year, uh, and uh, which you know whatever. I mean, you know, I wish they would have kept that guy, uh, the producer guy. He was very oh, really? good. You liked him? Oh, okay. Yeah, I liked him a lot. I thought he was great, but apparently he said something ten years ago that offended somebody, and now he can't be the the host. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, it's tough going back all that way. You know, again, context. You know, it's uh, you know, and Ken Jennings said something. You know, he's this Mormon guy, and he said he came down on uh, some uh, issue like seven years ago, and he got uh, you know, whiplash in in the social media. But yet they're letting him be on the show. And you know that Bialik chick. You know, she's one of those uh, moms who uh, feeds her kids like a bird. You know. She chews the food and then regurgitates it down their throats. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> That's you pretty know. weird. You know, so why are they better than that producer guy who made a comment about some chick's dress, you know, 10 years ago? Yeah, I don't know. I've, I haven't been digging into the details. I just kind of watch it from uh, from afar, I, I, you know, just because. Well, I'm you don't really watch the show, do you? No, I don't. But I'm saying I've been yeah. watching the uh, the controversy just in bits yeah. and pieces. As it, as you it, know, as it uh, that Bialik chick, her dad was my English teacher in eighth grade. Really? Yeah. Okay. My English teacher. And, uh, you know, she's one of those kids that they, you know, they forced her into show business early and stuff, you know, because... He was, you know, he was an English teacher in eighth grade. He probably wasn't making much money. Hmm. Um, then she so, went on to, uh, she, she's a, quite an accomplished, like, uh, scientist or something. She has a PhD or something like that? I don't know. I guess so. That's what she says. She's a neuroscientist. Yeah. Well, I think she has the, uh, the, the degrees to, uh, to back it up. Well, one thing I wanted to ask you about, Manny, is uh, uh, I know you had a, a, a Zoom mayor's debate on Tuesday. How was that? Oh, it got canceled. Oh, because okay. of uh, because of um, everything that's going on, they couldn't get all the candidates there in time. Hmm. Some some of the candidates have uh, you know uh, having to deal with the hurricane and stuff. Right, and, right, right. And uh, so they couldn't make it. So it was now canceled. was Latoya supposed to be a part of that? No, no, no. She's uh, pretty for the most part. All these forms, uh, she's not been invited to. They, they just want to. 
know what these other people have to say, you know, hmm. because her, her, you know, her approval ratings like 62%. Right. 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 But I, I would and, like to yeah. see, you know, the, the other candidates have an opportunity to confront uh, Mayor Cantrell with some. Well, of she's policies. been invited to a few, but she's just declined. Right. Okay. She knows, she's she doesn't clear. need to. She doesn't need to be confronted by, you know, some uh, angry candidate from New Orleans East who is worried about, you know, his his or her the, daughter. Sure. Or son sure. Getting shot. Right. In the street right. corner by the ideal market. Right. Um, right. Well, I could see her uh, wanting Crowder to, uh, Boulevard. Crowder, sure, yeah, yeah. Um, I can see uh, uh, Mayor Cantrell wanting to avoid the uh, the, the fray, but uh, man, it's, it seems like a disservice to the voters for her to not, you know, be facing this this kind of you well, know. Well, she's you know she's pretty much got it in the bag. Sure, unless sure. Something unless there's a Chad ballot that happens <laughs> to one of the candidates, <laughs> you know. Um, so. But you know, getting back to the storm, and you know, I've okay. been—I live, I work at the big campus and stuff like that, uh, where all the college kids come from all over the country to um, to party, and um, uh, you know, they're trying to start school back in a couple weeks and things like that. And uh, there's been a lot of talk. Uh, I don't know if they could do that with the public schools, but at least with this, the university here is like, you know. It, global warming is getting worse. It's not going to get better. It's getting worse. Mm -hmm. So why do you need to start school in August? What is the point down here of starting school in August? It's brutally hot. The public right. schools have no ACs or anything like that. And just what happened with this storm a week ago, all these kids from all over the country, all over the world, moved in for their freshman year only to have to leave after a week. And now they can't come back for another two weeks. So what is the point of having school in August? Did you, when you were a kid, did you always go to school in August? No, no, they didn't start no. uh, that early. It started like right around Labor Day in, in those, yeah, those days. Yeah, what is the point now of starting school like the second week of August, the height of hurricane season? I, I think what they're thinking is, and it's because of hurricane season that – uh, you know, they need to build in a long enough school year to where if you miss some time because of a hurricane, you can still make up the requisite amount of No, days. I think they started early because of fucking Mardi Gras. That's why they started early. Yeah, they take a, a long time for, for Thanksgiving, a long time for Christmas and Mardi Gras. Yeah, and, and when I was a kid, they only we only got uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday off for Mardi Gras. Yeah, just, now just they get three like days. two weeks off. For Mardi Gras, it's yeah, insane. Yeah, they're they're trying to trying to manage it all, but you know, like even if they started at Labor Day, you know, hurricane season, we're still right in the middle of it. You could easily have a hurricane after Labor Day, and uh, so I don't know. They're just, I, they're. I agree with you. It's very early to start. August is very very early, and it's very hot. Yeah. Well, maybe we should get to our guest. We've been uh, John a while here. He's okay. uh, he's been sitting there politely. So. Uh, so yes, this is a, a guest I've known for a, a long time in the music business in New Orleans. He's a, a, 
a live sound man. He's a, a talent booker, a production manager, tour manager, uh, recording engineer, guitar player as well. Uh, he's just uh, produced a record on, on the, the great Joe Tullis that's just about to come out. We're going to talk about all that. Uh, without further ado, Mr. Michael Paz. Welcome, Michael. Hi, guys. Hi, Manny. Hey, hey Renee, Michael. it's an honor to be with you guys. Wow. Amazing. What a, what a, what a great intro. Okay. So many, so many <laughs> topics that, that you talked about that I'd love to comment on, but you know. Well, please, you should have. You should have. No, no. Well, I, you know. Them. No, I don't want to have to drive this thing. I just came off of a, a fast. If somebody else will drive, I, I'd, 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 I'd happily sit in the passenger seat and look out the window like a dog. Well, you, were, you were talking about Norm. I, I love Norm McDonald too. But, you know, this, this past week, I mean, during this storm, it's, you know, when people die during times like these, sometimes it gets, you know, swept under the rug, kind of like when Joe died. You know, it was during COVID, so it was like this thing. We couldn't have a real funeral, but, you know, we just lost George Ween, who I, you know, I've known for 40 years, for God's sakes. And I've, and I've worked at the Jazz Fest, and I worked at Newport Jazz and Newport Folk. And what an enormous uh, talent we lost there. And, and Brother Who's Charlie that? Watts, Who, George Ween. I don't know who that is. Who's that? Well, he was the founder of Jazz Fest. I mean, he oh. was—he's he, uh, Quint Davis's daddy. <laughs> oh, well, in, really? in in the concert promotion business, yeah. But he, but he, yeah. he started uh, what other festivals? Started uh, Newport Jazz Festival. Yeah, Newport Jazz. Yeah, you know, George was was based out of New York for for so many years. I mean, he had a presence here in New Orleans. I mean. Um, you know, I used to work with Preservation Hall Jazz Band, and so uh, Ben's dad and mom, they were part of the, the, the foundation of the starting of the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival. So, okay. uh, and George, you know, George was the catalyst that, that made that whole thing go. Of course, the, the people that went along with that from, from day one, I mean, Tag Richardson, old, old friend of mine, he's, he's built that festival since day one. He's, okay. uh, he's been out there uh, building the thing from like a month and a half out from the festival, building the stages and all that. And, you know, I used to be in that world, too, of production of, of actually, you know, building uh, sound systems and, and stages and all of that, too. I come... That's been part of my career, but man. So who's to blame? Is is Quint Davis to blame for making Jazz Fest what it is today? I mean, it's just it doesn't seem like Jazz Fest to me. It seems like you got all these commercial acts and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't think we could go down that road. Why? Why are the Who playing Jazz Fest? <laughs> you know, everybody would ask all those questions. Like, let's put Dave Matthews Band up against Mystical with whoever, I can't remember who was on stage one, which I, I still don't use the sponsor names. I, I go by the old number names because that's how long I've been working there. So, but I think it's it's been a, you know, it's been the, the devil that's been taken over all of the, the festival thing. I remember Thursdays at Jazz Festival was my favorite day. And my favorite stage always has been Lanyab, which has always been a local stage and mostly acoustic or singer songwriter 
or at least, you know, tradition, some kind of traditional Louisiana music on Lanyab. And coincidentally, I, I was the sound company along with Charles Brady and Chris Brown at Soundcheck Music that did the sound for that stage from year one when that stage was born. It used oh, to be okay. just the four stages and blues and jazz and economy all and kids town. Well, you know, in prison, Thursday's the worst day. <laughs> okay. Why is that? Why is that? Well, I could tell you a joke. Rene knows the joke. Yeah, tell him. Oh, okay. Uh, this <laughs> this guy gets arrested. He goes to prison for like ten years, and he's really scared. He's a young guy. He's like early twenties or whatever. He's scared, and this old convict comes up to him and says. Hey, hey, hey! Uh, don't worry about a thing, man. Don't worry. Uh, uh, y- you like uh, you like baseball, and the the guy's like, yeah, sure, I like baseball. He goes, well, every Monday we have baseball doubleheader on the yard. It's it's a great. It's really good. You're gonna love it. What what about movies? You like movies? And the young guy goes, oh yeah, who doesn't like movies? I love movies. And he goes, well. Every Tuesday we have a double feature in the cafeteria. They show really good action movies. You're gonna love it. And he says, what about basketball? You like basketball? The young guy goes, well, fuck, yeah, I love basketball. I go, well, every Wednesday we have like our own little tournament, 60 teams, all like the, like the college March Madness type tournament. And he goes, oh, wow, that's great. And then the old guy goes, let me ask you something, young man. Are you a homosexual? And he goes, no, I'm not a homosexual. And he says, well, then you're going to hate Thursdays. <laughs> <laughs> and today is Thursday, by the way. And it is Thursday. Yes, yes. Well, Michael, I want to take a few steps back. Um, uh, so uh, are you from New Orleans? Did you grow up here? No, sir. I, I uh, was born in Detroit, Michigan by oh. uh, complete accident. My dad moved from Honduras to uh, Detroit and... Uh, found his way into my mom's, uh, my grandmother's boarding house. And that's how he met my mom and they got married. And, uh, we were there for, we were there for, uh, I was there for, for 10 years. Is your mom Honduran? No, she's, she's a, she's a German, Irish, Scottish, uh, I I don't know what she was a gumbo, but with, with all white meat. Okay. So, yeah. And so daddy is the one that put the Creole in the gumbo, so to speak. How'd you get down to New Orleans? Well, I was in school in um, in North Carolina. They sent me to a place. There was a lot of people, a lot of tobacco people in Honduras, and they all sent their children to a place in um, the Blue Ridge Mountains called Glade Valley. And I, they sent me there, and I was there for two semesters, my freshman and sophomore years. And towards the end of the sophomore year, the headmaster called me in and said, um, Paz, we really like you a lot, but we're thinking that maybe you should go home and talk to mom and dad and maybe considering another school for you to go to next year. You're, you're not being kicked out, but we're suggesting that maybe you should go elsewhere. So what is this, a tobacco school? No, no, uh, but uh, but cigarettes were twenty five cents at the time, so you know it was oh, North yeah. Carolina. No, it's just that they 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 uh, 
there was a it was a co-ed school. There was a lot of back and forth between the girls and boys dormitories. There was a lot of uh, substances that were being consumed, and and you were an instigator. I I, I didn't instigate them. I I may have looked at them, uh, <laughs> but I, I, I'm not sure that I ingested anything. At okay. least I, I didn't inhale purposely. I was just breathing. So the school administrators thought that this place wasn't for you. No. And so I went home and my mom said, shit, now what are we going to do? I said, well, Ma, you remember when we drove down to Honduras in 1965 in the Bel Air, 60, 65 Bel Air station wagon? We went through New Orleans at Mardi Gras time. And we stayed with my aunt who lived on Octavia just off of St. Charles Avenue. And we had a blast. We went to Preservation Hall a couple nights. We went and ate beignets. We, you know, it was an awesome time. And I remembered that. I remembered the music. I remembered the food. And I just said, you know, Ma, that would be a great place. Why don't you send me to Louisiana? And so she goes, you know, they got a, they got a Christian brother's school. We're going to send you there. And, you know, they'll, they'll make a man out of you. <laughs> what that did was uh, put me in a much higher grade of availability of substances and okay. <laughs> and things to um, distract me from my studies. Yeah. And so what it, school was that? What, what school uh, did you go to? It, it was across the lake at, in Covington at St. Paul's School. God St. Bless Paul's, them. yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. I think uh, uh, former guest uh, Carlo Ditta was a. Was oh, a he was he was my next door neighbor. Really? <laughs> I was in two twenty six. He was in two twenty seven. Okay, right how on. The, how the fuck do I remember that? <laughs> well, you know, yeah, that's uh, very good. Okay, so so that that uh, gave you some, so, you know, your first uh, exposure or you know your first real time here in New Orleans. So it, it grew on you. You graduated from from high school. Now, uh, how do you wind up getting into the uh, the the audio game? Well, I, I was a musician, so um, you know, I played guitar and I and I loved music from from a childhood. I, I, from the childhood years, I, I really was infatuated with music, mostly because of my parents, because they were they were jazzers. They loved, uh, you know, all all kinds of jazz and uh, singers, you know, crooners, Dean Martin, mm -hmm. Perry Como, all those guys. My grandfather loved Lawrence Welk. Of course, before we left Detroit, when the Beatles hit the Ed Sullivan, you know, that was like, you know, pop in a vein. You know, it was like, oh. I'll take some of that. Okay. And so, man, it was, you know, and so when we came to New Orleans, I heard that jazz for the first time, jazz that you could dance to. So that's really where, you know, I think my first love of New Orleans was had to do with the music, you know, having to do with the traditional jazz. So you're down here and you're, you dig the music, but but again, you know, you, you are a musician. Yeah, I, I, went in, I went into food and beverage. I got into the hotel and food and beverage industry for whatever reason, because I used to work for Linda Ronstadt's uncle in Lafayette, had a, had a restaurant, and I got a job there as a waiter, and I, and I did that at night. And then I played gigs at uh, Mother's Mantle and the Brass Rail and the Red Dog Saloon and Antlers and all these places. And there were a lot of the cats that are around still today, uh, rock, uh, who I, I, I ran into the other day, Zachary Richard was around. Um, 
-hmm. all these cats were around. So, you know, I, I got infected by Louisiana music. That's in Lafayette. Yeah. In Lafayette, USL university of slow learners. Speaking of Lafayette, we just lost the great Warren storm, man. What exactly. Another one, another one that fell under the, and I worked with him many times. Great, great man. Great singer, great drummer. Linda Rodstad's uncle, what was his name? I cannot remember to save my life. The I think the place was on Pinhook. And I, I, I'm writing a memoir for my grandson just to try to, you know, paint him in case I drop dead before he's old enough to have a uh, conversation with his, with his grandpa about, uh, about life and about what I've done. Well, he had to be, he had to be some form of Latin or Hispanic kind of guy, right? He, he, yes, he, he was, um, but her, her life was so complicated. The first time I met her, it was at the jazz fest in Laura Loop's office. Quint was in talking to Laura and I came in to do some business with her and, and Linda was there. And I said, I spoke to her in Spanish. And she goes, yeah. oh, I'm sorry, I, I don't speak Spanish. She goes, I only sing in Spanish. And I said, oh. Right. Said, oh, she can only know. sing in Spanish. She can't. Right. Yeah, I know that right. about her. Right. But I think her family was from Mexico and Guatemala, I think. Right. Yeah. I saw her in the early 80s. I went with my mom and grandmother and some cousins and sisters or whatever. And it was with a full mariachi band. Yes. And nice. she blew the house down. She's unbelievable. She was unbelievable. unbelievable I mean, she was singing artist. all these songs that my grandmother remembered, but yet between the songs, she would talk in English. Right. Because she couldn't, she couldn't say, you know, hey, great to be here, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. And, and she had to and, say that in English. And more importantly, I think, didn't make the effort, which is yeah, a lot I don't of think people do. Either. You see a lot of artists when they're, when they're in a foreign country, you know, in Croatia or wherever, they try to talk in their language just to say hello or whatever, but right. no, she didn't do that. And it was just, it was weird. Well, I think also, I also think dating uh, governor Jerry Brown for five years really killed her career for a long time. Yeah. She, she, she had a, had a pretty big career. Uh, yeah. You know, everybody yeah. has some ups and downs, but man, what a, what a, <laughs> what a tremendous, uh, tremendous overall output. Uh, so this onset. restaurant you worked at with her uncle, what was the food? Um, it was kind of, it was, you know, kind of like, um, uh, maybe port of college. They had, there was a, a lady in the kitchen named Ruby. I, how do I remember her? She <laughs> but you don't had, remember the boss's name, but you I don't remember the boss's. Well, Ruby fed me. She would make me a Ruby burger, which consisted of a burger with a fried egg on it with, a, oh, yeah. with the yellow part, just, just runny enough to make it good. Mm. <laughs> and cheesy and onions and hot sauce and stuff. I love me some Miss Ruby. So, so getting back to to your uh, your professional audio career. So you're you're playing jobs and and what they need a sound man. How do how do how do you get from from playing jobs at at at, at one of those clubs to uh, you know to running production at uh, the Essence Fest? Yeah, I moved to New Orleans. I I got a job in 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 food and beverage and worked that thing for a few years, but then. Charles Brady, Chopper, as everybody knows him, and Chris Brown, we all opened up a, a, a music store called Soundcheck. Right. Then, while I was there, 
Bernie Cyrus was doing LTV. I got involved with Louisiana Jukebox or with LTV, and then Louisiana Jukebox came from there. The catalyst of me becoming a sound guy and learning true production was working for Don Drucker at Preservation Hall. And I worked with him for almost 15 years and learned a ton. And of course, that's where I, I really became really familiar with the Neville brothers and you know, Don got me a, a gig with, with the Rolling Stones for the Voodoo Lounge tour where I guitar tech for Ronnie and, and Keith oh, nice. and, you know, hung out with Charlie who didn't play that night. He sat like the most, you know, he was, he was such a perfect gentleman, just sat there and, and, you know, had his, whatever he was drinking, I didn't even notice what he was drinking, but you know, Ronnie and Kenny were hanging on my shoulders by the stage all the time going, so who's that? Mate? And then when Keith would talk, it would be like, <laughs> so I don't know what Keith said to me the whole time, but that was fun. Those were fun times, man, that, working working with Pyramid. But oh, I, sure. really, I really did cut my chops at Pyramid on learning how to work sound, learning how to load in a show, uh, you know, all that stuff. And then right. everything after that became kind of second nature because you deal with tour managers, you deal with production managers, you deal with TV people, movie people, all that stuff. So everything else in my career grew from the roots that I had just from the love of music. It grew into the, the, the gorgeous career that I've had. I just, I just wish it would have been uh it would have been more profitable because then I, you know, I might be, be able to not be so nervous right now about uh, FEMA and the insurance companies. Sure. Well, you know, uh, the, nobody gets into the music business to uh, to make a fortune. Uh, you know, you get no. to do it because nope. you have to do it. You know, if you want to make no. money, uh, work work at a bank. That's a good place right, to make exactly. money. Exactly. Be, be an investment banker. Right, right. Well, Manny, I'm I'm looking at my drink here, and uh, you know I, I'm, I'm building up a head of steam here. Uh, you know, post fast. What do you think we? Uh, what do you think about getting another another round? Yeah, let's take our break. We'll be right back, troubled nation. You know the drill.
we're back. Back with Mr. Manny Chevrolet. I am Renee Komen. Back with our guest, Mr. Michael Paz. Now, Michael, uh, you know, we're back to our original sponsor for the Troubled Men podcast, which uh, was Loose Change. Right, Manny? <laughs> yes, Loose Change has been our first and and our, still our sponsor. We've had right. a couple other sponsors over the... Uh, I don't know what is it. Eight years now we've been. Yeah, doing it feels this show. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, about eight years. Uh, but loose change has stuck with us this whole time. Yep, yep. So loose change is what like change you find in the the couch cushions. Where else? Couch cushions. Um, Pants pockets. My daughter's room. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, sure. You know, on the streets. Right. You know what the funniest thing to do with loose change is though. Hmm is go down to like a busy, busy street, you know, where there's lots of cars mm-hmm. and there's lots of homeless people mm-hmm. and you throw loose change in the middle of traffic and just watch the homeless, you know, try to grab it through traffic. Oh, Manny. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. I could see you doing that, Manny. Well, so anyway, yeah. uh, b- back to Loose Change again is our sponsor. And uh, so, if you know, uh, Troubled Nation, it, it is a, a listener-sponsored effort here. So uh, if you have some Loose Change, we have that PayPal link in the show notes. That's uh, paypal.me slash Podcast. We have the, uh, the Patreon page. We thank all of our uh, patrons who are there supporting us week in, week out. Uh, y'all jump on that. In fact, we have a shout out to uh, to Tom Evans who uh, who jumped on the PayPal link and uh, and uh, supported the podcast. So we thank you for that. And uh, otherwise, you know, uh, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You know, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. You know, rate us, review us, give us five stars, and uh, yeah, you know, tell your friends about it. Spread the troubled word. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh So are they picking up your trash at least, Renee? Um, you know, they came yesterday and they picked up only the trash in the city distributed can. So yeah, I had two other cans and a ton of uh bags and a ton of debris. I didn't expect them to pick up the debris, but I at least expected them to take the the food garbage that was in another personal can, but no, they they uh how about you? Well, no, I had, this is what I did. You should, I don't know if you're lucky enough to have this because I have two people who live across the street. One of them has not come back from the storm, and I don't think they are coming back because they were renters. And then I have this Airbnb across the street that has two cans. And over the weekend, my wife and I, we did a bunch of cleanup in the backyard and the side of the house with all the debris. And we had like six bags, contractor bags. Mm-hmm. So I put two in our one can that I knew they were going to pick up, that one you know, right. can. And then I went across the street and took the cans of the people I knew that weren't home. Okay. And I put the other bags in there. So I got rid of all of them. Nice. Which I was very happy. But I hear people are so upset in some neighborhoods that I saw on, uh, uh, on, uh, on, I think I was on the Facebook, I saw that uh, there's this group, I don't know what they're calling themselves, it's a grassroots movement kind of group, but tomorrow, around 12 noon or 1 o'clock, 
they're taking all their garbage and putting it in front of City Hall. That's okay. what they're doing. I like it. Some civil disobedience there. That's good. Yeah. Now, if they can get away with it, I'm more power to them. Me, myself, why would I want to put smelly trash in my car and drive down to City Hall with it? Yeah, it just doesn't seem smart. Right. I don't think they thought the whole thing through. You know, they, they, uh, right. they thought, well, this is a good idea to do, but they didn't really think of all the parts in between possibly. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm, I'll be, I'm curious to see who shows up. Maybe they'll just have uh, horse and wagons bringing the trash and putting it in front of city hall. I'm expecting um, big changes when you, when you come to fruition. Yes. I will invite all trash to come to city hall. Okay. <laughs> it's going to be the new drop off. Thank point. You. Yeah. Well, no, I'm talking about hookers and, whores and all that type of trash Dope fiends. yeah yeah all right yeah, all right, all right, yeah. come to okay. city hall okay all your dreams will come true all right i like it now that's a campaign promise that uh the citizens of new orleans could get behind manny well uh well so michael let's get back to you here because uh, and and I ran into I I played a gig with you last year. You were the the production manager, sound man on this uh, this backyard concert. We were doing some heartbeat Nola, heartbeat Nola. Yes, terrific organization. We had uh, we're doing a, a Tommy Malone show there that that day. I believe I did another one with Susan Cowsill at the same venue. That you you do a bang up job running all the production for that. But but as we were setting up your playing a record uh, you know just in the in the, over the pa system and i turned to you and i said what is this man it's, i was thinking like the track i was listening to sounded like some uh like tom petty song i'd never heard or something like that and you said oh this is the joe tullis record that i'm working on and i i didn't really i don't really know joe um you know he he actually came to the gig that day and he was very ill and I, yes. I didn't remember him from seeing him, but but uh, then I went and looked back and at some pictures of him when he was young. I was like, oh, I do remember that guy. Yeah. And uh, so so he he had had the band Big Sun like back in the nineties. It was a popular yep. band. They actually played a, a gig with you guys with the iguanas. Okay. So yeah, I mean they 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 were they were like the warm up act for for you guys, Cowboy Mouth meters it might have been funky meters at that point um but a lot of the, a lot of the bands yeah i mean they were and yeah he was so that was his last public outing um and he was so ill at that point uh it was just a couple of days before that when the when the um nurse came by the studio and we were working and and uh you know, he was saying, you know, that we need to change his medication. We were giving him, he was doing marijuana cookies and he was doing some oil that a friend of mine sent from California that helped him a lot. But Joe, what a valiant effort for that man to make that record. When he called me and told me, when he told me that he was dying and that his, his wish of me was to come help co-produce this record. It's like the greatest honor of my life to grant him this wish. He had asked me to work before on an album with him and Dave Malone and Tommy Malone and, and Kevin O'Quan on drums and a lot of the River Parish kind of guys called the River Road Collective. 
I, I was not available. I, I was working and I just could not make myself available. Mm -hmm. But Kevin did manage to get a deal with Personas and he got some gear and, and, and he recorded all those tracks. And so that's another thing that's going to come forward for Joe down the nice. line. Nice. Well, so, so, uh, you know, Joe knew he was very ill and wanted to make this this record and pulled you all, all you guys together. And, and that record is just about to come out, right? That's uh, it's uh, yeah, it's the the single comes out tomorrow, drops tomorrow, and then the album drops a, a week from tomorrow. Um, on Saturday, it's going to make its debut on Sirius XM radio. My dear friend Meg Griffin who is on a, on a channel called The Loft on, on Sirius XM. She loves New Orleans music. So if you're a New Orleans artist, you know, contact her on Facebook. She, she loves everybody that you can name. I mean, obviously uh, Iguanas, obviously Subdudes, Radiators, Neville Brothers. She plays New Orleans music constantly. And so when I sent her this record, she reviewed it, and sent, uh, and you can see it. It's up on Joe Tullis's uh, site right now, joetullis.com. On the press side, we posted what she reviewed the record. I mean, and it's just so beautiful. It, it makes my heart feel so good. I'm so honored to have, have had this chance to work with Joe in this manner. I was his uh, road manager. I was his uh, bitch. I was his okay. uh, guitar tech. I got him cocktails uh, at an IHOP. Uh, I don't know how I did that. The IHOP was right next to the hotel, and I had a bottle in my room. And what, what can I say? Okay, well, there I'm, you go. That's... I, well, so so this record is called Vessels, right? Joe Joe Tullis, yeah. his last name is T U L L O S. Joe Tullis Vessels, and yep. uh, and so I was listening to the record the other day. It's kind of a it's it's got a variety of stuff on it. It's kind of some some of it is roots Americana. Some of it's more like power pop, kind of big star sounding. You read it. <laughs> uh, I listened to it. And you I listened get to it. it, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's and and he's Joe's a terrific songwriter. Um, now. Uh, and, and you go go back with those guys to the the big Sundays, right? Right, Kevin Kevin O'Quinn. I'm I'm at his place right now in the French Quarter. Um, Kevin was his drummer. Kevin and Joe and a lot of those guys, Randy Ellis. We go back to the sound check days when I had a music store in Metairie, and that's where I met those guys. Joe and I lived in in uh, Desterhand a couple of blocks away. So we bonded really quickly. And of course he was, he was not a Beatles fan at the time. I think I made him more of a Beatles fan. He, he was into like birds and he did like Tom Petty, which people have accused him of sounding like Tom Petty. And I think the song that you're talking about is leave this town. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it's, it's, I think it's more about, the hook, it does sound like Tom singing, I'm going to leave this town. Right, right, It just right, sounds right. that way. But 
I was somebody called me today for a video and I found a video of a song called Never Forsake You. It's on YouTube. And for me, it sounds so beatly, but that's so far before he was really listening to the Beatles hard. Um, but the the main thing about Never Forsake You was he sounded so much like Roy Orbison, the way he go, would go into a falsetto. Hmm. Wow. And then we're talking about a man that hung out with Carl Perkins during his uh, time when he recorded the solo album. So it's really, it's cool. It was, it, look, it's been an honor to work with him. Um, this is my only saving grace right now to be talking about him and to be promoting this album. I really encourage people to listen to it because the whole album, uh, the the single drops tomorrow, um, and Anna so blue. But man, the whole record it's it's really uh, remarkable. Well, you know, there's something about the the presence of somebody who knows that they don't have much time left. Um, you know, the, the, the way they sing, the way they perform, you know, I, I, I've played in this band, the geraniums for like 25 years, you know, Jeff Treffinger and Brendan Gallagher was our singer and the, the, you know, songwriter with Jeff wrote all the lyrics and, uh, Brendan, you know, came, uh, got diagnosed with, uh, you know, inoperable cancer a few years ago and was very sick. We thought he was going to die then, but kind of, you know, got some treatment. Who else was in that band? I love that band. I forgot that you were in that band. You, I mean, you're not only iguanas. You're not only Connie was in that band. Kanye. Con- Connie <laughs> was not in the band. It's a song, a one, a song that's actually coming out on the 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 omnibus uh, release. We have a, a twenty song release for the geraniums coming out soon, um, and Man. we'll 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 have Jeff on to talk about that when when that comes up. But but I was going to say, uh, Brendan was able to come back down to New Orleans and do uh, a. A, a gig every couple of months for actually a couple of years after he already, you know, had this inoperable cancer, but man, he would be so present on all of these performances. The, you know, he didn't seem like someone who was, who was dying or sick. He, you know, just, he had so much, just the, there's, the, a, there's a, there's a promo uh, thing on Joe Tallis's, uh YouTube channel. Um, I don't know what it's called, but it's it's the song Next Town. It's just, it was put together by the keyboard player, the music director, uh, Mark Bird Dog Dylan. And it's Mark playing piano and Joe singing. And the, 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 the part of Joe singing is live in the studio during that period of 17 days that we had him before, between... We started the project on September 28th, and between that time and the end, we got an amazing record, and we have a bunch of other tracks that are going to come out after this, but Bird Dog put together this thing with him just playing piano, just his video of the piano part, and Joe singing, that is freaking beautiful. It's it's so moving. It's, we played it at his funeral, the memorial. Part of his ashes are going in, went into a mausoleum 
and a tin mm. box, a beautiful tin box, that are there for eternity. And then the rest of his remains, of the burned remains, will go into a sphere that will be a vessel, hence the name The Vessels album. Mm. And it's going to be launched into the Gulf Stream off the coast of North Carolina, about 50 miles. And the whole thought of this concept that I talked to him about incessantly, all those 17 days of driving to the studio, I asked him, what are we going to call this album? What's the album sequence? He said, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. Okay. We didn't talk about it until after he died. And it didn't come to me until I was waking up one morning at 3.30 in the morning, Manny, like you probably do. And I thought of the, the word vessels because he wanted to be. Well, I don't wake up at 3.30 in the morning. He wanted to be put into a glass vessel and launched into the Gulf Stream. And the executive producer of the record is an oceanographer. He's going to launch him into the Gulf Stream, and uh, that's where he'll remain, revolving around the Gulf Stream for eternity, wow. 2,000 feet deep. Wow, that's, uh, that's novel, man. Holy cow. Well, now, who uh, is man. this again you're talking about? <laughs> Joe Tullis. Joe Tullis, okay. And he was a guitar player. Yes, sir. And, a, and more than anything, a singer-songwriter. He's going to be in a glass tube in the Gulf Stream? Um, well, I'm going to send you. I, I don't have your email address, but I'll send you. Um, actually, if you send me your snail mail address, I'll send you a, an actual copy of the album. And uh, I've, I've invested a, a ton of time and effort into putting this nationwide. I want to thank Meg Griffin and Rick Stone for helping me get this out to the world because it it will. It's it's out there now. Nice. Coming tomorrow and then on October 1st. And I want to invite all of you and, and both of you, please come to the uh, Louisiana Music Factory, who's our official distributor for the physical part the, our our digital our digital thing is distro kid but yeah if you want an album or a cd we'll be at louisiana jukebox i mean louisiana <laughs> music factory did somebody slip something into my cocktail I don't know, that, man. It's, uh, it's just going around. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, remotely. Well, that's that's great. And that's a it's a real mitzvah you did there. It's it's a, a beautiful thing to make this terrific record. You know, to, to you know to uh, you know keep Joe's uh, memory and his legacy alive and this this great work. Well, but I, I want to uh, uh, touch on a couple of other aspects of your career. You know, you've 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 had all these these different kind of music related jobs. You know, one is tour manager. And, uh, <laughs> you know, you're a tour manager for, uh, what preservation hall jazz band, uh, John Cleary, Terrence Blanchard, uh, who else? Well, John Cleary is the most recent one. 
Okay, well, well, I want to get, I want to, I don't want to get sidetracked. I want to get to my question here. So the question is, um, don't you think that uh, tour managing is kind of uh, adult babysitting? <laughs> how, how long do you have left? I, I think we're like eight, almost eight minutes over. Uh, well, because well, well, here's my here's my experience with with tour managers. You know, I, I've been out with bands where uh, you know everybody's an adult. They can tell time. They know when you make a plan. You know, when you say uh, meet you at the van at at four uh, thirty. Are you knows fucking to, kidding me? Everybody knows to leave their their room at four twenty five. You know, so are you fucking the, kidding me? So and, and, and then with the same group of people that for years have been able to make all these these uh, appointments and and you know keep all these appointments, you put a road manager in the mix, and suddenly the this it 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 uh, encourages this kind of infantilism where suddenly people can't tell time anymore. They sit, they don't know anything, and they wait for the the person playing daddy, the tour manager, to come tell them it's time to leave, little bass player, whoever you are, you know, anyway, so do you wind up doing a lot of that or or you're actually taking care of real grown up business on the, on these tours? I I put it into two cat or maybe three categories since you said grown up because it's really, let's put it into the context of Walter Payton, um, preservation hall jazz band. My first bass teacher. Yes. The running back. Probably, please. Not Manny. the running back, no. no. Oh, okay. Manny, please. Bass player, uh, 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 actually, bass player on Working in a Coal Mine. Not a lot of people Yes, that. That's Walter. Yes. yes. On many, many early recordings he was. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. He's great. He's a father the of Devo song? The same song that Devo covered. Yes, yes, yes. But okay. the the original version. Yes. <laughs> go, go ahead. Go ahead, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> You're killing me. I, lo- I love this format. It's beautiful. Um, Preservation Hall Jazz Band. When they hired me, my first tour started in New York, New Year's Eve, uh, 2005, after Katrina. So we're all like still learning how to live again and try to figure out wh- who, where we are. My band is in uh, five different cities. It's my first major tour, when I say that major, because my band was in five different cities. Normally, when I work with Joe Tullis, um, Zachary Richard, we would start somewhere and end up all in the same place. So, Preservation Hall at that time, everybody was dispersed. So... It was a five-week tour. A few days into the tour, Walter Payton really just, I was told that he was a problem, that he, he I needed to pay special attention to wake him up and all that. But we're talking about Walter Payton, so I was like paying him respect. And, and so I learned my lesson very quickly. But I'll tell you what, my oldest brother died during my first tour. Mm, and I just really freaked out at the time I got the band on stage. They all knew that that had happened. And so at the end of the show, they'd say, our, our tour manager lost his brother Don tonight, and we'd like to pay something special for him. And, of course, they played just a closer walk, mm. and they 
started off with the dirge and invited me out. And, and then at the end of the song, they asked me to celebrate him on the mic. And of course, I was a freaking mess. But I tried my best to be positive and, and, and but then when we left the venue, we went back to the hotel and Walter Payton, God bless him. He said, pause, where are you going? He said, he says, they got a bar here, baby. Come on. I want, come on. Hey, where are you going? You're not going back to your room and cry. Come and go celebrate your brother down right now. Nice. And we went into this place with a woman. I, I can't call her name right now because I've been drinking. Thank you, Manny and Renee. Um, <laughs> but mm, damn, I, I was like so emotional and I was so upset, but <laughs> one drink later, <laughs> I was so, he was asking me about him. What did he like to do boat racing and all this shit? And man, man, we had such a great time. And that means so much to me. And that really brought me into new Orleans culture in such a positive way that I understood the second line. I, I knew about it, but I just didn't understand it. And, you know, and of course now these days celebrating Joe Tullis is like second nature. It's what I do. It's nice. all I got right now. So what happened to the woman at the bar? Uh, she only had one tooth and she had a beehive. Okay. Wow. <laughs> I didn't picture her like that. I had a picture in my mind. It was not, it was not. I loved movie. her though. I loved it. Her as Freddie Lonzo oh, would say. I loved yeah, it. Her. Baby. Yeah. I loved it her. Nice, nice. She made yeah. a great martini. Yeah. Right on. Right on. Um, <laughs> all right, Michael. Well, uh, again, um, you sound like you're in good spirits now. I'm happy about that. I, I, I'm, I'm thank you. It's, uh, y'all cheer me up a lot. Have the whole year to look forward to, uh, you know, the, the, the book is sealed. I hope, uh, all of us are, uh, you know, sealed in the book of life this year. So, uh, Manny, uh, uh, you ready to sign off? Well, I just, I just want to say this show reminded me of that old joke, uh, a skeleton walks into a bar and orders a beer and a mop. <laughs> I know that guy. Uh, yeah, trouble never ends, people. But, but the, the struggle, struggle continues. Exactly. Good night. We love you. Good night. Well, the sun came up again today.